following audio is a Sunday sermon from Red Church in Blackburn, Australia. For more information about the church and its ministry, please go to www.redchurch.org.au. Father, thank you uh, that we can gather here today. Thank you that we can open, Father, that you'll speak to us through your word. We also remember today, Father, that we're meeting on the 11th of the 11th, the 100, and that all over our country, people paused at 11 a.m. this morning to remember that loss. So we also remember the great mourning, the loss of lives that occurred, not just with that war, but subsequent wars. We also remember fathers, those who've experienced war personally. We think of those in our church who have served in the military and in combat. We pray you'll be with them that you'll minister to them, Father. We also think, Father, of a world in war at the moment. We even think of the way that uh, only a couple of days ago that we saw an, an effect of that in Burke Street in our own city. So we pray for our city. And we pray not with a sense of absolute hopelessness. We pray with a sense that in all of the loss we as Christians can point forward to the time when you will return and every war will cease and you as the Prince of Peace, Jesus, will come to reign and wipe away every tear. So that's our hope, Jesus. And we thank you that that's how you're going to end history in your name. Amen. Could you be here? This is a one-off sermon. This is not a series, but it's sort of connected to what God's been doing, particularly uh, reflecting on what God's been doing in this five o'clock service. Over the last few weeks and even a couple of months, we've looked at the question of what it is to be a Psalm 1 person. A Psalm 1 person is the marker of what it is to have a vibrant faith. A Psalm 1 person is someone who is able to bear fruit even in the desert, to bear fruit even in the seasons where you don't bear fruit. So what God is looking for at the moment is kinds of Christians who bear fruit, kingdom fruit, at moments when the culture seems to be a wilderness of faith. And we've also been examining how God wants to bring together a whole bunch of Psalm 1 people and create out of them a remnants. A remnant who is not intimidated by the enemy. A remnant who's not looking at the public opinion of what people think about faith in this time, but actually who is centered around God's lordship and what he wants to do in this moment of bearing fruit. So what I want to do is I want to look tonight and open the scriptures and examine a way of how does God shape us, setting our minds on heavenly things, and how does God shape us to bear fruit in our lives, even in tough seasons. And what I want to teach about tonight is one of those things that once you understand it, you're actually going to look at your life in a very, very different way. What's to come, what's happening now, and what has passed. So we're going to begin with a verse which is in the book of Corinthians, the first letter of the Corinthians. 
And Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this. So, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So, first of all, here's this sense that you begin beaten times where you think that you're standing firm in your faith, but there's a danger. And that temptations come, but temptations are experienced by anyone who is a human being. In the second letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 13, Paul says in 13 verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. So tonight... I want to look at this concept that is all throughout Scripture and life of testing. When we examine the truth that God uses tests to set our minds and lives on what is above. God uses tests to set our minds and lives and what is in above. Now this goes contrary to probably everything you've been taught about life and the ideology of our age that actually life is about fun and experience and the world is a playground. But as I think as we unpack this, we'll start to actually link with probably your actual experience of life. Christopher A. Bealey says this, we will never meet someone who lives in a static existence. People are either growing towards God or away from God. There's no fixed middle position. We can have this view of the Christian life, which is built around the fact that, hey, I just want Jesus to come, and I just want him to keep everything A-OK, and if I can just stay here in this good spot in the sun, everything will be fine. But actually, there is movement in the Christian life. There is progress. There is growing in God. There is no place where you can just sit and chill. Stasis is stagnation. Sitting still is spiritual decay. So you're moving forward, and God uses particular things to move us forward. And they are tests. Life is a series of tests. The Bible is a series of stories about tests. In the Scriptures, there are over 200 narrative stories of people and nations and groups going through what Scriptures call tests, trials, or temptations. Once you see this lens and you read Scripture, you actually can't unsee it. So you, as a human, are going through tests. And as you read Scripture, Scripture is a book which helps us understand how we are going through tests and how we face them as believers. James 1, verses 2 to 4 says this. Consider it our joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, this is completely, seemingly counterintuitive. Some of you currently are going through trials or tests in your life, and I'm pretty sure you're not viewing them as a joy. They're actually seeing them as a blockage. You may be feeling a sense of frustration, isolation, anxiety, disconnection from your faith and your friends around a particular trial that you are going through. But James is reframing this, saying actually when trials or temptations or tests come, they're actually good. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. 
So here we start to get the architecture of how God brings sometimes, or not doesn't bring, but allows difficult things in our lives because there's a process going on. So when tests and trials and temptations come our way, we should see them as a joy because when our faith is tested, it produces perseverance. And perseverance is something which goes to work in us, moving us to maturity and completing what God is doing in us. So yes, we're going through life, we're aging, we're moving around, we may live in different places, but there's this inner process going in inside of us at the same time, which is actually all about God moving us to a sense of maturity. Well, we don't actually need anything and we're not lacking in anything. Testing, trials, temptations reveal character. You can be someone who is sitting in a position and your faith seemingly is secure. Around you are a bunch of Christians who are supporting you in your faith. You're in a great church. And then all of a sudden you move to a new job on the other side of the world or the other side of the country. And all of a sudden there seems to be this collapse in your faith. I have seen this endless times. The person who moves, they go to London or New Delhi or Beijing or wherever and they're totally switched on, dialed into their faith. And then they move. And you send a text or something. They've been there for three months. Hey, here's that church I told you to get connected with. How's it going? Oh, look, I have visited. I'm still trying to find a church. And then the text, six months later, a year later, two years later, how's it going? Look, I've kind of evolved in my faith. Which is normally language for I've devolved in my faith. Now, let me just put this out there. There is a whole industry of podcasts and websites and sort of post-Christian celebrities that you can follow or post-church Christians who will help you on that process. But they're not speaking for God. And so we face these moments where we are tested and the testing reveals our character. You may be someone who is not going to be lured by materialism and wealth, and that's easy to do when you're a student on study. But what happens when, all of a sudden, you've got a really big income? You can be the person who wants to get into politics and you want to change the system and you don't want to be like those corrupt people at higher levels and then one day you're going to be one of those people at higher levels and all of a sudden the corruption of power is near you. You might be someone who your character is revealed in absence. What happens if the life that you're expecting doesn't turn up? You're expecting to get married. You're expecting to have that kind of life. You're expecting to have that kind of family, that kind of job, live in that kind of area, and none of it turns up. Characters revealed. Or you can be tested and your character revealed in abundance. You're the person who gets the seemingly perfect marriage, gets the wonderful house, the dream life, the Instagrammable existence. And that reveals your character because God is forgotten because you've got it all. Life is a series of trials and tests. We see this in Scripture. Moses, 
is called, given an assignment, this incredible birth where God sets him up to be the deliverer of the people of God from Egypt. He encounters an Egyptian overlord beating one of his fellow countrymen. And he kills him. Now what's really interesting is you see in that he's actually fulfilling his assignment that God has for him and he's going where it's going in that the Israelites need to be redeemed and released from oppression. But what he's doing is he's doing it in his own strength. And his character, which is actually not about justice, it's actually about anger in that point. Or where justice turns into anger is revealed. David... King David, who, when we first encounter and meet him, is this scrawny kid out looking after sheep. Now, when you're a scrawny kid who no one cares about looking after sheep out in the back blocks, you're not going to be that tempted by power. But then we encounter David now in the palace, and the palace has got good high, you know, rooftop, which shows that you're the king and that you're powerful but also is a good place for perving down on people, which David is doing, and he sees this beautiful woman, and she's not just beautiful, she's naked, and he looks at her. Now, phase one is bad. Phase one of looking at this woman who's not his wife is bad in the biblical understanding, but he takes it to another level. Why? Because he can, because he's king, and he goes and sleeps with her. She's not his wife. He takes her, sleeps with her, because... The guy's just got charisma and power. He's the king. Henry Kissinger said there's no aphrodisiac like power. So it's easy to be Mr. Holy when you're just with the sheeps and it's just me and God and I've got the sheeps and no one likes me. I'm a scrawny little kid. I'm not batting off the women here. But then you're king and every woman's looking at you like you're this demigod and you know you can have her. But then David takes it to this next level where a husband comes back from battle. So he's not only taking a woman who's married, he's taking a woman who's married and her husband's actually serving David on the military front, fighting for his country. And the story just rubs salt into David's sin. I mean, the guy comes back and they find him sleeping in his doorway. And like, why are you sleeping in your doorway? This guy's been away from his wife. You think he wants to spend some time with his wife? He's like, how can I spend time with my wife while... The ark of the Lord, God's presence is living in tents. I'm in mourning. I'm not even going to sleep with my wife until God's name is on it. And it's just this juxtaposition. And what does David do? He sends him to the front to be killed. Power, testing reveals character. But you know the good news? God's also a God of mercy. And that's not the end of the story for Moses, nor is it the end of the story for David. And often God will present tests to us, allow us to go into them, and often they're repeated because he's trying to teach us how to respond to them. So testing reveals character, but then the key thing you've got to understand is whilst it reveals character, God also uses testing, trials, and temptations to build character. That if you face something... As the verse in James said, we face trials and temptations to build perseverance, to move towards maturity. But the difficulty is, is contemporary culture is built around the avoidance of tests and of the giving into temptations. 
We've constructed an entire culture which is about avoiding tests and trials and anything which is difficult. Contemporary parenting, contemporary schooling for much of the last 20 years has been centered around protecting people from difficult things and trials and temptations. And what that means is there is a maturity deficit. And the resilience and perseverance that comes when you walk through trials and temptations with faithfulness and perseverance, that that is lacking. And it creates fragile people. And our culture also has a belief that if you're faced with a temptation, that you are to just give into it. And that by not giving into it, you're some kind of repressed individual. So all of the language and the voices around you, not just in your peers, but in your culture, in your teachers, in your voices that you listen to that are not speaking the word of God, are going to say when a trial or temptation comes along, avoid it. Take side left or just give into that temptation. By the way, it's not a test if you cannot fail it. These are not little things that God sets up that are kind of sham little tests that you're going to pass anyway, clean up your room, otherwise you're not going to get a cookie, but I'll give you a cookie anyway. Is that the biblical record and how God works is that you actually can fail tests. But... We need to remember, as James says in chapter 1, 13 to 14, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. So God actually doesn't create these temptations for you. He allows them to happen in a broken creation. James goes on to say, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. He allows it to happen. Romans says that he uses all things for good. So God goes to create temptations, but this is, this is so key. If you're going to write anything down, write this down. But he allows temptations to create a crisis of faith in you. Yes, I just said that. God will allow you in temptations and trials and tests to go through a crisis of faith. What do I mean by that? What I don't mean is this sense of where you question everything and therefore, again, you evolve in your faith. What he does is he puts things before you that you cannot do in your own strength. Henry and Richard Blackaby say this, when God asks you to do something you cannot do, do you, face a cri- you will face a crisis of belief. You'll have to decide what you really believe about God. Can he and will he do what he has said he wants to do through you? Can God do the seemingly impossible through your ordinary life? How do you respond to his invitation reveals what you truly believe about God, regardless of what you say? This is not actually what we really say. We can affirm different and assign to different Christian tenets of belief. What we actually believe comes out in what we actually do in moments of testing. This building right here is the embodiment of one of those moments for me. We were at our Orchard Grove building, and one day after the 5 p.m. service, I was walking at the door, pretty much everyone had gone, and God says, you need to move from here. It did not make any sense. We just bought that building, 
We had nowhere to go. I had to then convince our leadership and board or whatever, like, we need to move. Why? Well, we've just bought a building. Where are we going? I, I have no idea. It was literally utterly impossible. And so I had to make that step. Now, what God didn't do is, hey, Mark, here is this brand new Seventh-day Adventist building that's literally just been finished. That's an option. So now you should move. And he could have done that because actually this building was ready at that time. But what he did was, is he actually allowed me to go into that step because he wanted to build my faith and get me to make a decision and move forward in a sense where I could not even see what was going on because he wanted to build faith in me. He didn't just want to give the building, he wanted to build faith in me. Building schmilding, he can just do whatever buildings he wants. What's a bigger task is actually building faith in you. And that's what God wants to do at the moment. So some of you are facing particular trials at the moment, and you're like, I just cannot do this in my own strength. Exactly. Some of you have faced trials and temptations, and you come to the end of yourself, and I just, I can't do this. That's exactly the point God wants you to get to. Because tests show that you cannot, but actually God can. That is a key key part of life. You actually cannot do life with God and the stuff in the Bible in your own strength, but God can. It's hard to be married for some people in certain circumstances through the difficulties and people look at that and how do I go, how do I face this crisis in my marriage? You actually can't, but God can. Some people looking at singleness, how do you do singleness in your own strength? You actually can't, but God can. Some of you are facing situations at work and you're, I don't know how to do this. That's actually the point. You can't, but God can. Some of you are having a dream put on your heart that God's like, I want you to do this. And here's this dream God's giving you. And you're like, I have utterly no idea how to do that. That's the whole point. That's the starting foundation. You can't because God actually can. So tests get us to the end of ourselves. Moses, who tries to do his own little escape from Egypt through killing an Egyptian, it doesn't work. He gets to this point where God comes to him. The entire comedy in the entire story is that God needs a spokesperson to go before Pharaoh in this very courtly situation and be like a diplomat and deliver these absolute perlous speeches so that Pharaoh will be convinced to release the people. And who does he choose? Moses, who can't even speak properly. He's a terrible public speaker. So God will choose people who feel that they cannot do it, and that's precisely the kinds of people God likes to use because they're the ones who are not going to rely on their own power and human striving. Now, we begin to understand and get to the bottom of how to get through a trial when we look at the person of Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't show us the way out of tests, but the way through them. Jesus is tested like all the characters, the hundreds of characters who come before him in Scripture. Jesus is tested like them, but Jesus shows us the way through test trials and temptations. When Jesus enters into ministry, he emerges from obscurity and no one knowing him, by the way, which is a test. 
Who are you when no one's looking is a test. And then he comes and he emerges into ministry. He gets baptized. And this is not just like a normal baptism service. This is literally, he's got a dove above his head, right? A Holy Spirit dove floating above his head. This is pretty special. A voice from the heaven says, this is my son with whom I'm pleased. Okay, that's pretty awesome. So he doesn't go from that and then all of a sudden he's doing stadium gigs around Nazareth. What actually happens is, where does he go? He's sent into the wilderness. Why? The Holy Spirit sends him into the wilderness to be what? Tested. Who turns up at moments of testing? The enemy. The accuser. Satan, the father of lies. In testing, Satan will appear. Sometimes he's going to appear like an angel of light. Sometimes, when possibly in your relationship, there could be difficulties if you're in a relationship and you're so frustrated with the person you're with because they're this way, so often, amazingly, someone who's the complete opposite will just all of a sudden start working in the cubicle next to you. When you're stepping into purity with God and you're saying, I want to give the whole of my life to you. I want to be pure and holy and walk your way in a world which says everything different to that. The enemy's actually going to present temptations to you. In the 21st century, sex is one of the tests and temptations and trials. It reveals our character. And also reveals an opportunity where God wants to speak and do something new in you. And he, the devil comes along in trials and God doesn't stop him coming along always. You know why? Because God wants to teach you how to beat the devil in trials. Because you're going to be a human being. You need to learn how to spiritually battle against the forces which come against you. So some of you are in trials right now. Some of you are in temptations right now. And Satan is tempting you. And God's allowing that to happen just as Jesus faced temptation in the wilderness because he wants to teach you how to beat the devil. And how do you beat the devil? Jesus shows us. Jesus shows us through Satan coming to him and Jesus is fasting and his body is rumbling. I mean, 40 days with no food is intense. It's not just the 40-day famine. This is the 40-day famine. And it's in the Negev Desert. Like This is like where he gets 52 degrees. I mean, this is epic and huge. And what does Satan come to him with? The base desire that his body, soul, spirit, and mind is focusing on every moment. You haven't eaten for 38 days. You're in the Israeli desert. It's 52 degrees, and you're sitting in some cave, like barely alive. Satan comes with, make some food. You can do it. Dial a pizza. Just do it. Like, eat. And what does Jesus do? He lived by the word. He knows that Jesus has an assignment and a call on him. He knows that Jesus is king of all kings, that he's going to be ascended to the right hand of the Father, that he comes from heaven, that he is the Lord of all. So what does Satan tempt you with? He tempts him with where he's going, but an easy route there. So he offers him the way not of the cross. He offers him this smooth superhighway where you can have all the stuff that your kingship promises, not through the cross, not through suffering. You know how you can get there? It's so simple. It doesn't hurt. You won't have nails put through your hands. Just, just bow your knee. 
It's not going to hurt. Just get down on your knees. Just, 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 you can just begin by worshipping me. Just say the words. It's not going to hurt. Just do it, Jesus. Get down on your knees and worship Satan. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus shows us the key of how you move from a moment of trial and testing. Just before the night before Jesus on the cross has his ultimate victory, we read this story. I'm reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter and James and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Jesus is God, but he's also fully human. So what he's showing us here is not like, I'm God, okay, I'll do the test, whatever, I'm not human, whatever, it's fine, okay, now I'm on the cross. What he's actually doing is, he's fully human. He's experiencing this as if you and I experience our trials and troubles. Verse 34, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He says to him, stay here and keep watch. At this point, he leads behind his buddies because this moment of testing, as so often the greatest tests are, are when we're alone. He says this, Abba, Father, in the Aramaic, Dad. The intimacy of Dad. Dad, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. He said, I don't want to do this. This This is seemingly too hard. And you're reading the story up to now, you've never heard it. At this point, the question's got to be in your head. If you'd never read this before, is it just going to back out at this point? This seems overwhelming and epic, and he's pleading with his father like a little kid, Dad, don't make me do this. Don't force me to go through this. I I don't want to do this. But then the turning point in just a few words. Yet, yet, despite what I'm feeling, despite all my emotions, despite being overwhelmed, despite the pain, despite the overwhelmness to the point of death, Yet not what I will, but what you will. Not what I want to do, what you want to do. Every test, trial, temptation comes to the point where it's, it's not about me. It's actually about you. I only get to really be me and discover my true identity and who I am when I realize that actually it's just about me getting on board with what you're already doing, God, in the world. Actually, God, you don't need me because you're going to take history to its ends, but you're inviting me in, and I choose to get on board with you, not my will, but your will. In the 21st century, in a culture of rampant individualism, which forms us at neural pathways in our brains of making choices for our own benefit, this comes and says, God allows trials and tests and temptations to come to you because he's rerouting our brains, renewing our minds, changing our hearts, cleaning our souls, not my will but your will. Let's read on, verse 37. He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping, who he just asked to stay awake. Simon, he said to Peter. Peter at this point, he's talking to Peter, but also Peter is representative of the church. He's talking to the church. Then he's talking to the church now. Are you asleep? Are we asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray so that you not fall. You're going to have temptation, but that you don't fall in temptation. 
So, God shows us obedience. In John 14, verse 23, it says this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. When we face a trial, a temptation, a test, and we obey Jesus' teaching, this is what he promised. My Father will love them and he will come to them and he will make my home with them. When we practice the way of obedience, God comes to us and dwells with us. When we're just trying to sit there and be just a Christian who's just nominal and standing in this point and hoping everything's going to be hunky-dory and we have a really nice 21st century Melbourne life, God will not come to dwell with you if you're not walking in the way of obedience. Obedience during testing is where you experience life with God. If your faith is lacking and you feel this sense of not feeling God, you will feel Him in moments of testing and trial and temptation. That's when God comes to dwell with us. This is one of the benefits of God allowing us to go through this. And we now need a new generation of Christians who are actually willing and ready to step into the zone of obedience and meet God there. Lastly, second lastly, God allows testing in order to add authority to your assignment. Not positional authority, not earthly authority, not social media authority, not the authority of being head of your workplace or school or family, but spiritual authority. God puts spiritual authority on people who have walked through trials and tests and been faithful and perseverant and mature in ways that is supernatural, that we can't take a photo of, but we can sense and feel. Every one of us in this room is a child of God. God has an assignment and a call for you. He's asking you to step into his dream of what he's doing in the world, to get on board on the train that's heading to his end of history. But he doesn't want you just to have that assignment. He doesn't want another Christian who's got that call but not living it out. He wants to add the weight of glory and authority that comes from him and the spiritual depth that comes when we step into our assignment to allowing the authority that comes through the passing of testing and the faithfulness of testing. Lastly, officially lastly, we get to a Psalm 1 life. We make fruit in the desert, out of season. When? Obedience and persevering during testing releases blessing. When you've gone through something and you come out of it, and you've walked through with faithfulness and perseverance, you release a blessing for other people. Abraham is called out of Ur. He's going to go through testing. He's called to go to a place he doesn't understand. And out of that process of him being tested in so many ways, we could do a whole sermon series just on the way that Abraham's tested, out of what will him come? A nation as vast as the stars in the sky and the sand pebbles on the beach. God releases blessing through Jesus' obedience through times of testing in the wilderness. Then the ministry that comes after that changes the world, divides it into B.C. and A.D. And on the cross, the blessing that's released when we're given eternal life and the resurrection that happens on Easter Sunday morning is the blessing being released from the obedience that happens in the Garden in Gethsemane. 
And there are people in here with blessings locked up in you that God wants to not just release for you, but actually for other people when you're going to actually have victory over trials and temptations and tests that you're going through now. For some of the stuff that you're going through now that you feel lonely about and isolated and different from your friends or the enemy's trying to just take you away from the rest of the sheep to ping you off, that that isolation that you feel is actually the opposite of what God's going to do with what he's doing in you, which is actually to allow that to tell others that there is victory in temptation and trial. It doesn't matter if you failed tests and trials and temptations up to this point, Jesus is all about grace and the enemy wants to tell you that you're not worthy, that you should be filled with shame and that nothing's going to come out of you. But the gospel actually says the opposite, that he wants to bring stuff out of you and he wants to release blessing from your life which you think is worthless. But through Jesus' perspective, it's not. There's a whole lot of blessing in this room that God wants to release. And so you need to reframe how you're viewing your life and what you've gone through, what you're going through, and what you're going to go through. Because these are opportunities, and the myth that life is just going to be smooth sailing, and the Australian mythology is just going to be prawns on the beach for the rest of your life is exactly that. It's not Actually, it's not a mythology, it's an idolatry. And so we face trials and temptations, and God allows them, let's face them with joy. So what we're going to do now, I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they do that, the Holy Spirit wants to release some of that blessing in us. And the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. So we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. I'm going to get you to stand. And let's just stand. And if you feel comfortable, you don't have to do this. There's no compulsion here. But if you do feel comfortable and you want to open your hands to receive, we're just going to ask, Holy Spirit, come now. You're present. We're actually, you're already present, but we're actually asking you to come into our lives and do your ministry right now. So Holy Spirit, come now. Come amongst these people. And we pray, God, that there are people in this room facing temptations and trials and tests right now and you're wanting to actually reframe them you're wanting them to be places where perseverance and maturity and faithfulness will emerge from and blessing will be released Father I also sense that there are people here who have been in past seasons of trials and temptations and tests and that has defined them that season's over And actually, you'll ask them now to step into victory and not just be stuck with the muscle memory of what went before. So Holy Spirit, begin to move now. I also just want to pray for another group of people, which are people which the enemy is circling around, whispering in ears. Powers and principalities are seducing and spinning lies in a moment of temptation. So I just want to pray protection in Jesus' name. I want to pray victory in Jesus' name. We as a people now stand together calling on God to fight for that person, those people in the room who are right in the, in the storm's eye right now, Jesus. So we want to pray deliverance for people. People caught in repeated patterns where they just keep falling and falling 
that's not going to be the story of their life going forward. With you, Jesus, there is new possibilities and you say, behold, I'm doing a new thing. So Holy Spirit, now in this time, as we allow your Holy Spirit to minister to us, do your work. Release the blessing. So what we're going to do is there are some people here to pray. Sometimes we pray on the side. I just really feel tonight that actually God wants to do some business with us. If you're in the morning last week, he did a whole bunch of stuff with people, but it felt like just the beginning. It felt like God just naming some stuff. What he actually wants to do now is just get deep and release some blessings in people. So again, we're going to open up the front. If you want to come and pray, come and pray. If you feel you're in a trial, test the temptation, this is going to be a brilliant opportunity to reframe that and bring that before God, to have other people pray for you. So come, respond as you will. doesn't matter how many people come. Holy Spirit's doing stuff. But if God's calling you, come and be ministered to. And if you want to be prayed for, put your hand up and people come and pray with you. So let's just begin to worship. Let's see what the Spirit does now. Just let Him sort of take things from here.